0: Hey, folks, welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. I'm your host, Andy Sitto. My guest today is Nashville-based tour manager, Joe Lentini. All right, welcome back. This episode was a lot of fun. I was in Nashville last week for a couple nights um, checking out some neighborhoods, hanging out with some friends, and uh, I was playing a couple nights at the uh, at the Eddie V's in Nashville. I play at the Denver one three nights a week, and um, yeah, so I sometimes I, I get to go out and play at, at the other clubs and uh, – or the other restaurants, excuse me. So I got to go, go play a couple nights at the Eddie V's, and it was a lot of fun, and on my day off – it was a Monday – I I always love breweries. I'm a big brewery guy. I like to take work to the brewery or just relax uh, and, and try a couple beers. It's a big it's a big thing I like to do. At home, on the road, it doesn't matter. I'm always looking to see where I can get a brew. And I saw Southern Grist on the map and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna go try that. Let me go check it out. Went in, sat down. It was early, you know, early afternoon, I guess, so not a ton of people there. And um, the guy sitting a couple chairs down was Joe, Joe Lentini. And we started chatting a little bit, but we were both doing our own thing, doing some work, drinking our beer and um, chatting some here and there. And I I noticed he was uh, working with Setless on on the uh, BMI page. Um, I'm with ASCAP, but I recently realized that for as much as I play doing set lists putting your set lists in with your pro actually uh you know adds up in terms of income after a while so i'm making sure to do it and uh anyway he was telling me that he was doing it for a tour he had just gotten done with he said he was a tour manager and i said who and he said daniel donato in cosmic country he showed me a couple clips and um yeah we just got to talking so he he's one of those people, it's just a cool, really cool dude. We'll talk about it in the podcast more, but uh, makes friends with everybody. You can tell he's he's the guy at the bar that's not afraid to talk with anybody. Um, he's a good time. And as I was leaving the brewery, I thought, you know what? I should just ask him if he wants to do a podcast interview. I've never had a TM on before. I don't know this guy at all. He seems like a cool dude. So I did. He said yes, and uh, and we did the podcast. And it was it was a great conversation. We talk about... Um, his time on the road with Daniel Donato, um, we chat about trippy toes dyes. He does lots of tie dye and I think we could call him a botanist as well. There's links to, uh, Daniel Donato, uh, and trippy toes dyes in the show notes. If you're interested in checking out his tie dye, um, or, uh, or checking out Daniel Donato and the band he's he's been working with. But we just got to chat about his life, how he came up in Jersey, how he ended up down in Nashville, um, and some tour manager stuff too. Some of the things you have to learn on the fly as a tour manager. Um, and lots of other stuff too. It's a great conversation. I'm talking too much already, so let's just jump into it. Um, before we do, quick thanks to our sponsors. First, Patrick at PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast for any of your audio or restoration needs visit pqmastering.com also Narrator Music for simple and affordable licensing for sync visit narratorrf.com here's my conversation with Joe Lentini Joe Lentini how you doing my friend?
1: I'm doing good, how
0: are you? I'm doing great. I I want to say that this is a, a rather guerrilla podcast because we just met last week. Um, we'd never spoken before. We met at a bar in Nashville, a brewery rather, Southern Grist, um, when I was down there visiting, playing a couple gigs. And you were sitting at the end of the bar doing some, some tour manager work uh, for your artist. And obviously you knew the bartender. You were trying to... A sandwich and trying some beers um so it was cool it's cool to run into and i'm glad to be doing a podcast like this
1: yeah i'm thrilled to be here uh you caught me in one of my natural habitats and uh it was cool i mean the minute you brought up podcasts I've, i've never been on a podcast and uh i'm thrilled to be here and uh you know shoot the shit
0: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, sh- I was thinking before we, we really jump into your story, should we do a quick once over of the, of the Southern Grist, uh, beer menu?
1: I mean, everything that brewery does is awesome. Um, being a beer head and as we'll s- talk about shortly, like uh, moving down to Nashville a little over a year ago, uh, one of the first thing I did was just kind of get established in the beer and brewery community and like, get all the inside scoop and make friends with all the bartenders. uh, And it's kind of one of my hobbies down here. Um, But everything Southern Grist does is incredible. Uh, I think that day I was, uh, I tried some of their new sours. They had some kind of like blueberry muffin cobbler sour.
0: Yes. Um, I loved that beer. uh,
1: At this point in my beer career, it was good. It was good. Uh, Very cinnamony, which I wasn't expecting. Um, But you know how those smoothie style sours go. They, uh they can get a little, they can get a little much. Um, so recently at Southern Grist, I've really been enjoying their Pilsners. Uh, they have a crisp series or, a, as the beer hype piece would call them crispy boys. Okay. Um, and that's really what, uh, I've been getting in on.
0: So for anybody who lives in Nashville or is traveling down to Nashville, you can go to Southern Grist and, uh, ch- you can drink anything there, but check out the Pilsners We from a local recommendation. Yeah.
1: Definitely. And get the food, get the food at the East Nashville location. It's a brand new location where me and you had, or you and I had met and, um, they are really doing some crazy stuff with a rotating menu and, uh, highly suggest I actually went for brunch there, uh, two days ago and, uh, got to try that menu out. So it's awesome. a pretty common occurrence. Uh, you see me at a bar.
0: Awesome. And, and does that, does that help you get work done? I know you've got a lot of I mean, you're, you know, with, with your job, which we'll get into here in a little bit, being a tour manager, you've got a lot of computer work to do too. I I assume not just out on the road all the time. So does that help you getting out of the house and going somewhere and being a part of the community? Does that help you focus and work?
1: Oh, totally. I can't, I've never been able to do work uh, in my house and stuff. And, even in college you'd find me sitting at Starbucks at you know six in the morning working on stuff for the class. That I didn't do the night before, um, just because I was sitting at home and I couldn't get it done. Uh, so being in like a, you know, just a, a homey, but not your home environment where I'm just relaxed and like, they have great wi uh, over at the grist and whatnot. And, uh, uh, yeah, I just love sitting there and getting much done because also like you don't want to spend all day there. So like you have a beer or two, get some food, bang out some emails, get on a phone call or two to complain about something that some venue did and then go home and uh, it's an accomplished <laughs> day and you got out of the house. I'm also just I, like, I love being out of the house. I mean, as much as I'm comfortable with my house, it's just I'm a kind of a social being and I like having other people around.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's probably less cactuses at the bar too. You know,
1: there is less cactuses, but there are, uh, quite a few plants there, but, um, this is just a small portion of my collection. They're still moved inside for the winter. Wow. I have probably another like 20 in the basement, um, which doubled as my tie dye studio. Um, wow. and was, if it was nice out today, I was going to start building this new greenhouse I bought, uh, five or six foot, by eight foot greenhouse from Harbor freight. Uh, um, And I'm really excited to get that back in my life. I had one when I lived in Jersey and then I, something was missing from my life last summer. And I think it was just being able to like wake up and go in the greenhouse, hang out with my plants, you know, the smell of hot soil and vegetation. it's just, it's so calming.
0: That's great. That's great. Uh, So let's jump back a little bit before you moved to Nashville. You were in Jersey. What was your upbringing like? How'd you get into music? How'd you get into, how did you get into the greenhouses and tie dye? How did this all happen? Oh,
1: It's a lot. My story's kind of out there. Um, But yeah, I was born and raised in Tom's River, New Jersey. Uh, Shout out Little League World Champions 1998. Shout out Todd Frazier. Uh, That's one of our biggest claims to fame. Todd Frazier. uh, Yep, Todd Frazier. Wow. I'd I'd be walking around the high school, you know, walk around my high school and I'd pass the athletic trainer's room. I'd be like, what's up, Deb? And I'd look, you know, I'd make a little pop my head in and then Todd would be sitting there hanging out with her I'd be like "Sup, Todd like he doesn't know who I am but uh you know local legend um but you know Tom's River if you don't know uh great coastal Jersey so I'm literally grew up 10 minutes from the beach um and uh I mean you know made some great friends which I, I've always been into music but because of that I've kind of made music oriented friends and uh one of my best friends, uh, his dad is a predominant music photographer, and um, like through middle school and stuff, like start taking us to Bonnaroo and stuff, uh, which is crazy. Being fourteen at Bonnaroo, um, and I wow, you know, twenty twenty would have been my tenth year, and then COVID, and then twenty twenty one was supposed to be my tenth year, and my friends all drove down uh, from New Jersey, nine or twelve hours, whatever it is. And, uh, Bonner got canceled. So should be making an appearance this year, trying to make that year 10. But, um, that being said, uh, yeah. through hanging out with my friend and his family and, you know, going to see, not just go to see the Foo Fighters, but be hanging out side stage at the Foo Fighters and like, you know, hanging out with all these cool people. It's like, I always knew this was the realm I wanted to be in. Um, and I never quite knew how I was going to get working in the music industry. I just knew I was around and had connections. And some of them proved to be uh, my connections were too high up in the game to even help me out. Um, but it always, it always looked good to me. You know, people look over and also I'm talking to you know co-founder of this company or whatever, and I'm really getting the inside scoop. And I've had all these people that I could ask questions to. And that's probably been the best part of it all. Like not necessarily the connections that led me places, but the connections have put me in a position to be in the know about what's going on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, and when you sort of have that personality, uh, you know, and I mean, that's why we're doing this right now. Cause we sat at the bar next to each other for an hour and became friends. Right. And you, you, and I'm, I, I'm, uh, I may be somewhere in the middle. Like if somebody's social, I'm going to chat with them a bunch. And if they're, and if they're not, I won't, but you're somebody who, um, I think people gravitate towards because you're, I mean, you, you knew everybody in there, you're chatting with everybody and no doubt. That's been a big part of getting into the business for you. Right. Is just being, being social and being a cool dude. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, that is absolutely true. And I can talk to anybody and I will talk to anybody. Um, and, uh, that's part of like the, part of my success down in Nashville. Like I moved down here in January 2021 and I knew I had some friends down here and, you know, I had definitely a support team of people at home and, and then here, but I just, I had to get out and I had to meet people. And, uh, you know, I help people all the time. I go out eight nights a week with a pocket full of business cards and a firm handshake, ready to meet some people. And that's uh, exactly what I did. And, you know, uh, not only being myself and being personable and having, you know, my strengths and business uh, goals for and Tini as an entity, but uh, through COVID I'd started a tie dye business, trippy toes, tie dyes. And uh, it's super informal. It's all like through Instagram or like I'll pop up on lot, pop up a Phil and friends lot, or, you know, now I'm out with uh, my artist uh, who we haven't even touched upon that. I'm Daniel Donato's tour manager, yeah. Daniel Donato, Cosmic Country. Um, so that's what I'll be referring to throughout the whole, uh, ordeal today. But, um, I'm there, I'm selling merchandise and I have tie-dyes at the merge booth and, you know, i through, uh, you know, through sales and selling shirts to cool people and people who have a following, I've gained a following internationally. and Like I've shipped shirts all the way to you know, Ireland and France and whatnot. Um, wow. But yeah, I mean, I just kind of talk to people and I'm, you know, good at keeping up with people and maintaining relationships, which you know, plays a big part in that too.
0: And are you wearing one of your tight, you're wearing one of your dye shirts right now? Yes.
1: I am. Very um, cool. so let's see a little bit. Uh, I use a lot of like browns and blacks, um, but also color. Um, I like to say I make tie dye for people who normally wouldn't wear tie dye because they're sometimes a little darker and more intense and geometric and, uh it's cool um but i'm having fun i use hot water people always ask oh do you use ice because it kind of looks like that but now i use a method called hot water irrigation um and i'm lucky enough to have a house uh with a basement that wasn't being used for anything so when i moved down here i set up a studio so i kind of anytime i could when i you know a little blip of inspiration i could run downstairs and get some get some dyes done
0: No, wow, that's that's so cool and for people that are, uh, I guess the majority of people that are listening while they're driving that aren't that aren't seeing it live, we'll put a link in the show notes um, for how people can get a hold of you about about Tida. You've got a link and stuff for that.
1: Cool. Yeah, yeah, I can absolutely provide my Instagram. That's really the best way to get a hold of me. Um, yeah, there is a website trippytoesdies.com. dot com. However, that uh, was just uh, I kind of just threw it together because I got an offer to uh, put an ad in a magazine I was interning for back before I moved down here and I uh, wanted to be official and uh, I made some sales through the site, but uh, it's, you know, it's kind of a lot to keep up with and I'm a busy beaver. So uh, yeah. just kind of posting them when I can, I'd make it very clear on my bio, like, you know, sporadic drops and whatnot. And some days I'll just drop a bunch of shirts on there and you get when you get. Going. And I tell people like turn on my post notifications if you really want one, it's the best way possible.
0: Yeah, oh, that's rad. That's rad. So you mentioned uh, interning at a magazine. And when I chatted with you at Southern Grist, it sounded like that uh, the magazine was part of your journey to Nashville, right? I mean, you did it there, but you kind of got an opportunity through that to move to Nashville. So how did how did that all shake out? And what was the magazine?
1: So uh, the magazine, the magazine is Relics Magazine. It uh, started in 1974. a kind of like a Grateful Dead newsletter. Uh, you know, keep up with people you meet at shows. Talk about shows. Talk about art. And uh, from there, it's really exploded. And uh, it covers all sorts of good music. And that's you know that's the way I'll put it. If it's good, it's in there. It's not your cookie cutter pop, you know, magazine. It doesn't get political like Rolling Stone does. It's just about the music. You get eight issues a year. You get a CD in every single issue. And it's a great way to you know, keep up with the bands you love if you're in the jam band type, bluegrassy, rock and roll realm um, and discover new ones. Uh, oh, yeah. I just gave my whole spiel there. I used to table for them at uh, concerts and stuff. So I kind of had that down pat. Um, and I'm pretty sure I probably hold a record for selling subscriptions.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, 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 somebody, um, but, so, somebody got me to do a subscription at a festival and it may have been you. Who knows?
1: It might've been, uh, probably not because I didn't get through any festivals. Unfortunately, I started interning for them right before pandemic broke out. Um, and uh, you know, that didn't stop it or anything. We just kind of moved to online remote and, uh, we would do our weekly zoom calls and whatnot. And it really shifted to all kind of online, you know, people couldn't go to shows and like through that, like through, you know, pandemic, as we all know, like what, uh, Live streams kind of really took over. I mean, they've always been around, but like it was the only option, whether it was someone with a guitar in their living room or a band, on a, you know, in a big rehearsal space and putting on a full show, zero audience. And um, that really kind of ultimately led me down here. Uh, the owner of Relics Magazine, Pete Shapiro, uh, Jam uh He owns not only Relics Magazine, but also Capitol Theater in Port Chester, New York, Lockin Music Festival down in Arrington, Virginia, and then the Brooklyn Bowls, which you know started in Williamsburg. One there, it's a music venue, bowling alley, restaurant, just full entertainment hub. And um, they open, or we're going to open one in March of 2020, um, but then pandemic, so it got you know delayed. Uh, but through that time close to uh, me coming up on a year interning for relics, mostly remote. Um, I, we, we were talking and uh, the HR manager said, Hey, does anyone know anyone in Nashville who wants to intern at Brooklyn bowl Nashville? And by this point, Nashville had kind of already been on my mind. Uh, Cause was either get serious, move to Brooklyn or get serious, move to Nashville. But my hobbies tie dye and cacti are way too big for a Brooklyn, you know, shoebox. So this yeah. was like a, a gift. I was like, uh, I don't just know someone who wants to you know, go down to Nashville. I am the person who wants to go down to Nashville. And they're like, you want to move? And I was like, yeah. So uh, I had like two months to find a place to live and pack up. And uh, January 8th, I packed up my pickup truck with my workbench, tie-dye supplies, everything I could fit in my truck. I had a banjo sitting shotgun with me. Um, and I just drove... It, through the cold to Nashville, through the rain, through the snow. And, uh, it's yeah. the best thing I ever did. I absolutely love it down here. Wow.
0: Yeah. That's so cool. And so you, you're, you're down in, in, uh, in Nashville doing well, I guess that what, whatever happened with, with the, uh, with the Brooklyn bowl opening up.
1: So it did open up in, uh, June of 2021. Mm. And, uh, it's been going strong since obviously like, all venues in the industry. Um, We've taken, we've had great weeks. We've taken hits weeks because either, you know, COVID was spiking or, you know, someone in the band just got COVID and they had to cancel or, you know, we had to go back, you know, we had had to wear masks in the beginning and then we didn't have to wear masks. Then, you know, certain shows you'd have to wear masks for because the arts requested and we all had to wear them again and then they just got rid of them again. So it's just been, kind of up in the air um but through that time I I did my internship uh when I first got down here and then in June that transitioned into me taking a paid job as uh the lane technician so I take care of the bowling lanes and clean them and wax them and work on them Uh, we have a string system so the pins don't get like you know knocked down and then through the whatever and then you know, set back down after they've been swept or whatever, they just go up, they get pulled up. So it cuts out a lot of the sound, which really allows for you to have bowling during a show because otherwise it'd be way too loud. And for some shows, it still is loud. Acoustic guitars and singer songwriter stuff, but, and we will stop it for that. Um, But, you know, it's a great venue. It's like a 1200 cap venue. Um, It's, it's insane. When you sell it out, there's 19 bowling lanes And, uh, it's a whole lot of fun. Food's great. Check out the fried chicken if you get there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to put that on my list for next time. And, and so now moving down, you moved down there for that reason, but ended up getting connected in some other spots too. And now you're, um, one of the things you're doing is tour managing, uh, for Daniel Donato's Cosmic Country, which I'll let you describe, but on his website, I thought it was interesting. Uh, it says weaves outlaw country, grateful dead style, Americana and first rate songwriting. I think that's, I, yeah. don't, I feel like every, every description has been used for a band before, but that was a little different.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, it's really cool. So I, uh, I got linked up. We'll, we'll definitely get to what cosmic country is, but we should even just start the, yeah, I got linked up with Daniel. I actually found him on TikTok uh, shortly after moving here. And, uh, I was like, I gotta go. I gotta see this kid. Uh, his TikTok said something like hey I'm standing in front of the Ryman I've never played here but I want to but I play every week at Roberts Western World which is the best honky tonka on Broadway and um, after like, two weeks after finding that I had reached out to him to try to get him in a tie-dye let him know I'm down here because I, I felt like we should be friends um, I finally get down there and I'm wearing a Relics Magazine tie-dye and uh, there's a kid up on stage rocking a Brooklyn Bowl tie-dye Playing Grateful Dead music in a honky tonk on Broadway, which if you've ever been down Broadway, it's all just this cover, that cover. I got bar like, you know, Kid Rocks, big honky tonks, Steakhouse bullshit. I got Miranda Lamberts. And uh, it's all just people playing covers of what's on the radio. Um, And Roberts always has the best music. You don't really have to worry about no radio covers there. But it was just so different. It was so surreal. And I just like called out like, Hey, I like the shirt. And he was like, Hey, I like yours too. I was like, thanks. I made it. And he's like, you the kid from Instagram. I was like, hell yeah. And, uh, we started talking. He liked my watch and, um, we like exchanged numbers after that. And I just kept going to see him. And, uh, through that, and that was probably about February last year. And through that, uh, we just really developed a friendship and, uh, you know, just, I've been supporting him ever since, uh, one of the best shows he ever did at Robert's was a fish after party. And uh, I had picked up a bunch of you know, flyers from his manager, Owen, and I did a gel on the lot and I was spun to the gills. And all I could say to people was barn burner is going to be a barn burner. Cause like, I just get choked up. And so i was just going around telling people, Robert's after party, going to be a barn burner. And yeah. uh, that has since kind of turned into uh, a joke in itself as part of cosmic country. We just deliver the barn burners. Uh, and if it gets really crazy, that's turned into a, a titty twister. So a more serious barn <laughs> burner is a titty twister. It gets pretty insane. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, uh, so now, you know, December, I got the offer. I was at a dopapod show, um, just sitting in the middle of the crowd getting COVID. A lot of us tested positive after that. It could have been from all the other shows I was at that week, too. Yeah. But, uh, just sitting dope and all of a sudden my phone rings. I'm like, ah, oh, bother me now. And it was Daniel and he was like, Hey man, you want to tour manage us the new year? I was like, damn straight. I do. And, uh, yeah. it's been a dream. We've been on the road since January, pretty much all the way from Denver to at, at or cre- further Denver. We were in Crested Butte for the first show. It was cold. And it was, it was yeah. fun though uh, with the kitchen dwellers. Yeah. And, uh, we just wrapped up this past weekend in Asheville with a nice live session at Echo Mountain Studios. And cool. uh, it keeps on going. We've got like thirty more dates between now and June to deliver the Cosmic Country, um, which I guess is a great segue to what is Cosmic Country and uh, Barn it's more burning,
0: than just titty twist and good time.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's it's more than just a music you know music genre. It's a band. It's a lifestyle. Uh, we all say that you know we didn't choose Cosmic Country. Cosmic Country chose us. Mm. Um, as for the sound of the band, it's rocking. It's like a uh, you know, Buck Owens, Merle Haggerty, Mel Tillis type deal, if they had done a bunch of acid and mushrooms and explored the Grateful Dead and Fish and widespread panic and especially Almond Brothers and just really dove into what music can be and just, you know, long jams and intergalactic, you know, intergalactic segues into new songs and whatnot. And, uh you know, there's definitely covers in there but there's also a lot of original music that isn't even on any of the records right now that the boys are playing um it's a four piece we have daniel on his telecaster you know ripping through the galaxy and then we got will mcgee on the upright and the bass he's been uh, a lot likes to play that five string recently he's been going back to that p bass and uh it's almost like he can you know he, he can get further into the jam with the with one less string which I dabble. I'm not a musician, um, but yeah. it just blows my mind. And then we got the Noah Winter Miller on the uh, on the train beats and the the funky fills and whatnot on the drums back there. And then we have Nathan Aronowitz on keys and guitar. Um, white Jimi Hendrix kid is out of his mind. Uh, he's uh, yeah. older than he looks. We uh, have a rumor going on that we kind of perpetuate that. Uh, we don't know how old he is. We mail ordered him from a lot. And the, uh, Latvia. barely speaks like English. I don't even bother asking. <laughs> uh, none of that is true. He's a good old Arkansas boy, Yeah, but, uh, we have a lot of fun with it.
0: That's great. That's great. How old is he?
1: He's 26. Okay. <laughs> the young band. the young band. but, uh, He's 26 and uh, he's him in the uh, Our drummer Noah are in another band called down boy. And mm. uh, they are also incredible. Everyone in the band, except for Daniel went to Belmont. They're all classically trained musicians, mm. which just the utmost appreciation for every kind, every genre, every instrument. And uh, it really shows through in the music and Daniel, Daniel's just an alien. Um, really? I, insane. Don't, I don't even get it sometimes when he's playing and breaks my brain for half a second. Then I got to like snap back into So sell someone a t-shirt or something.
0: It's So you're, you're very much a part of the culture and a part of the band. You're not, you're not a, a hired gun tour manager. I mean, you're, you're in the thing, you're in the thick of it with everybody.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I started as, you know, a friend of the band and, uh, but you know, they saw it in me and I knew I had it in me and this is actually my first tour managing gig. And I think my, you know, my background and experience has all led me up to this point and uh, it's been awesome. And there was definitely some learning to be done. Um, you can ask any tour manager, there's really nothing you can do to learn how to tour man. You just kind of got to get out there and do it. And uh, the music industry is weird. It's very lax. It's very not official. It's every venue has a different, way of doing stuff every artist has a different way of doing stuff everyone travels with different gear different equipment and uh you know being able to think on your feet and you know create a problem solving and just kind of holding it down is essential um i tell people all the time i'm a camp counselor uh you know I'm, I'm the tour manager but i'm also the friend i'm the therapist i'm the mediator uh i go shopping before every you know leg of the tour and i grab ramen and packs of tuna and chips and salsa doritos a new flavor dorito every leg of the tour uh gotta keep it interesting Yeah, and uh you know i'm just i do everything i drive i sell merch i'll be driving down you know driving down the highway sending an email to the venue talking shit to every car around me while telling the boys stop yelling at each other in the back you know like he's sleeping leave him alone (laughs) you know yeah um but it's it's great and everyone is you know besides just you know it's not just like some thrown together corporate band it's musicians that came together for a reason and uh we all very we've all very much vibe and um you know whether it's sharing beds or you know taking turns driving or sharing snacks like oh, you gotta try these we're passing them around we're having we're, we're working hard um you yeah. know we're going sleep and pushing through to the next city through the night and you know like i said thinking on the fly and whatnot but you know it's it, it feels really cool and there's a lot of really cool cosmic energy and up on stage it's very playful And uh, it it really shows forth in the music and the sounds heard through the air.
0: Well, and so as you're saying, you can't really learn it except for just to go out and do it. After your first time on the road, what could you tell yourself, your past self, before you went out on the road um, as some advice?
1: Ooh, I don't even know if I necessarily had advice after the first one for myself I, I guess it kind of made sense it made sense more, it felt better, um, luckily I've uh, I've met quite a few tour managers down here, so any questions I had whether it be on the road or before I left, which wasn't much before I left, I was able to reach out to and ask, um, the big one's organization, which growing up I was a kid, just, you know, pile of pile of notes and papers and a backpack, like a uh, like where's my homework? Oh, oh, here it is. Oh, yeah. by the way, uh Mrs. Teacher Lady, um, I found last week's homework too that I thought I'd lost. Um yeah, yeah, if I could yeah. just hand this to you. Like it literally hasn't been anywhere but the bottom of my backpack. There's like squished banana and coffee on it too. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so you know, I keep like a trapper keeper and luckily I'm not bad. I'm great at writing emails, I'm good with organizing my emails, but it is a lot, like I said, being every place being different, but um I don't. I don't. I. I don't really know if I'm necessarily in a place to give myself advice yet. Yeah. Um, the organization one was key, and the, don't be afraid to ask questions. And uh, also, like, I never have really been worried. I've ever been annoying, but like, you got a job to do. Like, you know, you can't be like, oh, like, yeah, I don't want to bother the venue because you know they didn't give us the buyout money, or like they didn't, you know, they didn't give us waters in the green room. Like, no, nah, I'm gonna march my ass over there. I'm gonna be like, hey like I always make friends with the production manager they always can't wait for us to come back or the general manager of the venue so I don't think I've done anything quite quite wrong yet uh, knock on wood um, you know uh, now like one thing I've picked up on is can't trust com um, because they don't make the rules we had a situation uh, you know trying to check in at 3am and I tried calling earlier in the night to make sure it was fine but you know things got away from me and I didn't get a chance to and then we got to the you know the hotel and they're like, we don't have any rooms for you. And I'm like, what do you mean? I booked the I booked the rooms a week ago. And they were like, Well we thought you weren't showing we sold them off to somebody else. And then you know, uh, there was no hotels within a 30 minute radius. So we had to push forward another half hour after pushing forward an hour and fifteen to the next city. And uh, next thing I know, we're at a night's inn on the side of the highway in four smoking rooms. Yeah. And uh that was not that fun. Now I you know, I make sure I get in contact with them and I make sure it's gonna be all right. And then you know, sometimes we get there, and there's still no one at the front desk because they're sleeping in the back and my loud ass is you know, through the little window because they all got the plexiglass up now. Nah, yeah. I'm just like, Hey, yo, we're here. Dude, wake up. Yeah, gotta sleep. And uh, you know, <laughs> you rub the crust out of their eyes, like, oh here you go. I'm like, Thanks, dude. Like I'm not going to make a big deal about you sleeping on the job, but don't make me yell that much.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's (laughs) – sounds like you learn all that stuff on the fly um, and and, and you get it figured out. How much do you have to worry about budgeting? Like if you're booking four hotel rooms, do you have – you know, and maybe it's in an expensive city. Do you have a threshold or you're like, man, these rooms are 200 each. We're going to have to do one room tonight or two rooms tonight. I mean, do you, how much are you thinking about budgeting on the job as well?
1: So budgeting's always in mind. We try not to spend more than a hundred dollars on a room and for a stretch. We don't always do that. Um, if they're cheaper rooms, we can get away with it. Um, we usually try to do three and there's two, three double rooms. And there's seven of us in the, in the party. there's four in the van and three crew, but we have air mattresses in the uh, van. A lot of times hotels will do a rollout for 10 bucks extra and not having to move the air mattress out and making sure everyone sleeps uh, works. Um, I always try to look for like, if there's like a comfort in and suites or like a comfort suites or something that will tell me that there's probably, like multiple rooms or like could be like a little living room type area with a couch and then two beds so that helps um, but ultimately we try to keep it under 400 a night and sometimes you know it makes sense to get an Airbnb especially for multiple night runs like we do two nights try I get Airbnb um, a lot of times venues will comp it too a lot of times we'll be like hey can you put us up somewhere I'm like yeah absolutely and other times they don't even want to feed us pizza even though it's in our contract that they have to feed us um yeah. And it's just all kind of like just knowing what was agreed upon and what you could ask for and making sure that your band's advocating for.
0: Yeah, yeah. But uh,
1: yeah, ultimately, like I said, we try to keep it under like 400 night. And like that being said, like, you know, sometimes it, there's really nothing you could do. And it's like, you know, you're playing in Atlanta and, you know, everywhere you got to go is like another city, Athens, and then like, like, like an hour away, you know. So it's like you're never going to be able to really find a cheaper room. So it's like you think about that and then the next night instead of, you know, 105 dollars a room you find something for 70 dollars because you're able to you know go off a little beaten path so it all kind of evens out but as long as you just be mindful about it and you know you're not spending 500 dollars a night per room um they're good but ultimately it's just important that everyone's got a place to sleep i will that is the the ultimate goal i will never let anyone sleep on the floor there, there's always going to be some kind of elevated surface for them to sleep on
0: yeah an elevated surface see that that should be in the musician's code an elevated surface to sleep on i like that not even not necessarily a bed but an elevated surface
1: yeah couch uh yeah. we can you, you make a make a bed out of something or you know, I, I i always have, I, I gotta put it in the in the van but like in my truck personally like i always have a hammock like you never know when you're gonna need to crash somewhere and you got two trees especially now it's getting nicer out with these festival seasons. like i love sleeping in a hammock at a festival yeah. I, I i don't think i've ever slept in a tent at room because we uh we sleep in uh, like the guest camping and there's trees so like i set up a hammock it's got lights and stuff it's great for winding down at the end of the night and then you wake up and do it all again
0: that's awesome that's awesome How how much of the work that you have to do is done on the fly on the road versus how much is happening between tours at home
1: so a uh, majority of the work happens before and after i get like before i go out and then after i get home um like the week leading up to it um advancing with the venues making sure they have our stage plot and our rider and you know everything's agreed upon with the contract that they signed because I don't we don't do any I don't do any of the booking that's all we're under Mid Talent Group um, and they do all the booking and then Daniel also has oh uh, and his manager manager um, you know boots on the ground here in Nashville and then uh, everything else kind of goes on the fly so I'm booking hotels ahead of time I'm uh, advancing with the venues to make sure they have everything make sure they know what we're coming in with we need everything gone from the stage because we have all our own back line and stuff and uh they're ready for us um that being said you know things change on the fly so it's not uncommon for me to be emailing you know in the van or you know emailing at the venue for the next show the next night um but it all it all depends
0: and what's the what is the wrap-up like the week after the tour i mean do you do you get to relax as soon as you guys get home or do you kind of have to go back and recap with with all the venues and stuff
1: uh, it's not so much recapping with the venues. I mean, sure, if, the, if the venue treats us super well, I'll always, you know, send out thank you email and stuff, or like send out a text message. Because half the time I end up with people's numbers and stuff, and uh, keep those connections solid. Um, but it's also like going over. I, I take pictures of the set list every night, and I have a working document that I get all the set lists with the original artists who uh, wrote the song and whatnot in there, so that we can get paid from BMI for our, you know for plays and whatnot. Um yeah, I'll go over like what we sold for merchandise. I'll do our road cash report, how much cash we took in, how much cash we put out if we spent any. I organize all our receipts, whether it be for gas or food or hotel rooms, and I have them all organized and I bring everything over to our financial management team, which is on the other side of town. And I'll sit down with them and I'll go over everything and I'll always ask, like, hey, like, how do you think it went? Like, do you need anything more from me? Like, is there anything you need me to be doing going forward? And uh they usually ask you know, pretty much the same question um and you know we, the whole team works really well together but it's like I said it's kind of just wrapping up and then usually it's the way it's been it's getting ready for the next tour I'm like all right I clear some emails out get new emails going advancing with the new uh new venues we're about to play and hitting the ground running and do it all over again
0: yeah yeah that's what and I, I think you were doing that at the brewery actually entering set lists right that was one of the things you were doing um from the tour you had just finished up and, uh, I you know I don't know what percentage of musicians actually do this, but I've started doing it, and it adds up after a while. I submit all of my set lists to. I, I'm with ASCAP, and it so- sounds like Daniel's with with BMI. You can actually submit your set list that you played every night, and you get paid for playing your own songs because you're you know you're a part of that that PRO. Um, you're talking about. Putting in the cover, like putting in the original artists on on these songs. Do you, are you careful about if you cover a, a dead song, making sure that they get get their credit for it if it was played in the set?
1: Yeah. Oh, uh, well, I mean, I I personally don't deal with much of the back end of that. I just provide the set list and whatnot. But you know, it, it, sometimes it, it'll be, you know, a song that you know the we're playing it more like the dead did. You know, it's on like Merle Haggard's mama tried, but like, going to give Merle the credit on that one and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, sometimes it's like all these songs have different, or some of the songs have the same names, with different artists. And it's like, there's confusion. So that's kind of why I took it over. Cause I know what's being played, you know, for instance, like I had got over like one to check over when I first took on these responsibilities and it was like Southbound Almond brothers. And that's, that is, you know, an Almond brothers song. However, This is the, this is a Daniel Donato original Southbound and, uh, you know, kind of being on top of that. But, you know, and sometimes it's like there'll be songs that I don't even realize who did the original. And I'm just like, Oh, I didn't even realize that was a cover of a cover of a cover. Like, and it's just like, you know, just kind of checking, you know, crossing your T's and dotting your eyes and make sure, uh, everyone's getting paid cuz yeah you know, that's the goal we all trying to get paid in the music industry if you if you overlook something you can easily miss out on some money and every dollar counts especially now
0: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and now that you're home for a stint um i mean is there a lot of in town shows uh, you know is daniel daniel still playing down at roberts regularly when he's home
1: no so he's not playing regularly at roberts or anything especially now that it's really taken you know, it's taking the next steps in the in the journey. Um, he's not so much playing down around town. Um, uh, in fact, he's not slated for anything until June first, um, which is a uh, trouble no more. The new Almond Brothers project or tribute project he's been working with, with like Peter Levin, Nikki Glassby, and Taz and Taz's brother and whatnot. Um, and, uh, a lot of that's strategical. You don't want to flood the market. You don't want it to, you know, you don't want people to be like, Oh, you know, you can go every, every week and see this person, which at some parts of your career, that's great. But, uh, for someone, you know, trying to be a touring musician and whatnot, it's not the best move. So take a step back. That being said, um, you know, he'll do the, he'll do the one awful sit in, you know, we, uh, there was a Grateful Dead Night over at Legendary D's Country Cocktail Lounge and our friend Jackie Straw kind of helped orchestrate and there's like the house band Killer D's and a bunch of other amazing musicians from around town sitting in and our bass player sat in sang a number Daniel got in for a couple and uh, that was really cool Um, and then just this past Saturday uh, before I headed over to Bristol Maroney at Basement East I went over to Underdog and our bass player was also playing with some of our friends and daniel sat in for a song or two and yeah it, it's cool it's like uh almost like finding an easter egg at this point that's what we want you know every day people are like when's daniel playing in town when's daniel playing, when's daniel playing in town because they got a little used to it And now that he's not they miss it and they want to see it especially they see what we're doing on the road and how the band sounds different today than it did you know a week ago two months ago a year ago and uh, yeah. people are really excited about what's going on they want to see it uh, but building that hype is cool uh, um especially someone like me uh daniel just found this i guess it slipped but i actually went to college for luxury brand marketing and management so the whole like exclusivity and stuff like always like has been a big part of my mindset and my business plans and stuff so i fully align with it and i fully see it and i'll uh, work it to its fullest potential and that's for sure
0: and you said luxury brand and marketing, is that what it was?
1: Yeah, luxury brand marketing and management. So uh I got ah. a little steered away from music at the beginning of my college career. I actually went in for um environmental studies. Um I was like, you know, pretty thick in the whole hippie shit and uh wanted to save the world and like I you know, still to this day I have an interest in science and plant life and botany and stuff like that. So like my interest haven't steered too far, but I had an internship that summer my freshman year and uh, that's really when the music thing got serious because I, you know, I was driving around stuff. I was working for an environmental consulting company and I was, you know, going to gas stations and metering the wells, making sure there wasn't petroleum and like the groundwater and stuff. And uh, I was like, shit, this isn't for me. I'd go outside, I'd uh, to smoke a cigarette when I'd be in the office and everyone kind of drove a shitty car. And I was like, well, I'm not doing this. I don't want to drive a shitty car when I'm older. So, uh, yeah. I really kind of got full swing of the music and I, and I switched to luxury brand marketing because I did want to do like marketing and stuff in the music industry. However, I like nice things and, uh, luxury always just, you know, it sounded cooler. And I was like, yeah, let me do this as a new major. And, uh, I definitely excelled in it. And, uh, I was one of the first, probably like, probably like 20 or 30 people that graduate with that degree, um, at my college. And, uh, um, and, you know, but through that, like it's helped me with my mindset about everything, because it was just, it was really just all business, you know, marketing classes and whatnot like that. But there were a couple core classes that really focused on, you know, like the luxury brand side of things like exclusivity and like the dream value of products and like, Mm. just, you know, like just, just mindset and just, quality over quantity and you know people want what they can't have and just you know like as much you know as bad as counterfeiting is like you made it if someone's counterfeiting your product like they're trying to make it easily accessible and trying to you know make a dollar off your hard work and uh as much as not wanted the fact that there is you know counterfeit products out there make the legit products that much cooler and like yeah you know that much more sought after and uh all this is, you know, helping me and stuff and just kind of, you know, my mindset on it.
0: No, that's that's really neat. I, I could see where that would help you a ton in the music business. Um, so what are some of your your personal goals going forward in the next few years?
1: You know, I don't know. That's a real good question. I figured that was coming. Um, it, it's funny. Because I was thinking about it today, and like, if you asked me five years ago what I want to be doing, all I can tell you is working in the music industry, uh, and I'm doing it, and I, I'm actually I I couldn't be happier with where I am in life. Um, that being said, um, I think the next five years are super, you know, they're super dynamic, and they could uh, they could go anywhere. Um, that being said, um, you know, I'm my goal in life is to be like the next Bill Graham, you know. Uh, legendary concert promoter. I have, a, I have a knack for, you know, discovering talent or discovering artists and, you know, it, it, involving them in every aspect of my life. And I have, an, I have a, a great knack for building a show and putting, you know, putting on uh, an event that people could get behind and really enjoy from the beginning till the end and uh, seeing it through. And um, I don't know where I'm going to end up in five years, to be honest with you with you, but I I, I have a good idea where I'm headed.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. Well, Hey man, it's been so great chatting with you. We'll have to do a follow up at some point, but, um, thanks so much for taking the time. And, uh, if you would stay on the line with me for just a second, but in, in front of our audience, uh, thanks for, thanks for chatting with us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Andy, thank you so much for having me on. Um, this is my first podcast and you know, I love it. Just We just met sitting at the bar, which is really the best place to meet people, in my, in my opinion. And uh, really glad we got to go over some stuff today and uh, try to break the iceberg. I didn't even tell you about how when I got down to Nashville, I needed money because I had an unpaid internship. And I worked at Waffle House for four months as a, uh, as a cook because I just always wanted to do it.
0: I meant to ask you that, and it slipped my mind because when you said, oh, yeah, yeah, I went down from an internship to an internship, I thought, man, how did you do it? You worked at Waffle House.
1: Yeah, I worked at Waffle House. I worked the mornings. at like 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. And it's just, I'd go and just, we had, we had way too much fun. Me and my manager would be sitting at the grill, be, you know, flipping eggs and dropping hash browns and singing George Strait and Garth Brooks and Waylon Jennings, top of our lungs. And it was right by the Grand Ole Opry. So some cool people would come in. I met uh, the actor who plays Eddie Munster. Um, I happened to see one of my friends who was Merle Haggard's tour manager. Shout out Frank Mull papa frank and uh you know like it just you never knew who was going to come through those doors and uh i i love to cook so that's i had the time of my life
0: you know that's uh i when i was in nashville with my fiance back in november we were commenting on the fact that there might be more waffle houses than starbucks in nashville and i don't know if you can say that about uh, too many places and that's that's cool that you that it it wasn't just a well i got to do this to make some money but you Enjoyed it too. You had a good time with it, and I don't know. Singing in the back seems like the only way to cook.
1: Yeah, no, it just you know, it, it, it's it's it is it is the only way to do it. And uh it was like a, you know, it was like a country concert the whole time we were there. It'd be you know, like I said, be seven in the morning. I'd be felt in you know, Mel Tillis at the top of my lungs, stoned to the gills, cooking everyone's breakfast. um It's one of those jobs where you can't do stoned when you first start. It was a big learning curve, but. It, it's also one of those jobs that after a little while you can't do not stone. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah there's, it, it, it's like a, it's a plateau. Um, um, but uh, yeah, they promoted me to master grill operator after four months. Uh, there's three levels. There's just a grill op, master grill op, and then a rock star grill op. I didn't make it there, but uh, they promoted me, and I put my two weeks in the next day, and hey, you, uh, that was my WAPLAS run.
0: You made it to rock star grill op with your with your next career opportunity, I think.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was a stepping stone, and uh, like I said, I had too much fun. Still, to this day, I mean, I was always a great breakfast cook, but no one out me in the morning.
0: I love it. I love it. All right, my conversation with Joe Lentini. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for coming on. That was a lot of fun, wasn't it? And that was kind of uh, that was kind of cool because I usually do more research and preparing and there just wasn't uh, wasn't what this was it was just we we met we had a good time we had some beer and and I said let's do an interview and uh, it was really cool uh so that turned out great and I'm sure um that he'll be back on in the future. So thanks for listening. If you'd like to help out this podcast in a monetary way, I am on Patreon at patreon.com slash Andy S-Y-D-O-W. That helps out both my music stuff and my podcast stuff. It's all in one place. Um, if you'd like to help out in a non-monetary way, you can visit um, anywhere that you listen to this podcast, especially Apple Podcasts, and give it a five-star rating and review. It just takes a second, and uh, it would be really cool of you. All right, that's all for today. I'll chat with you next week. Thanks for listening.